0: I think Happy Thanksgiving's in order, even though we're recording this on Wednesday. For all of those in the United States, Happy Thanksgiving. Jason Pridmore, Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving to you too, G-Dub. Every day's Thanksgiving
1: for you, though, when it comes to diet. What do you got going on the plate for tomorrow?
0: You're an idiot. I don't even that's know what not, to say to that. That's not
1: nice. What? It's not nice. Did you get Kolb's
0: picture of uh, his yeah. breakfast the other day at the racetrack? Did you? I did, yeah. That was that was good. It looking yeah. good. Well, I mean, he's like, uh, remind me of you or something. I'm like, dude, I don't drink Red Bull. No Ugh, chance. Dude, it's, the guy drinks, I mean, give, he can say whatever he wants about you and your donut fetish, but the guy has five
1: Red Bulls a day.
0: It's, yeah, it's an addiction. It's anyway, everybody, welcome to the Grace Garage Bible Coach, Jason Pridmore, presented by Bike911.com. Bike911.com. That's a website. Go check it out if you need legal help, advice. Go talk to our boy, Alex Asante. He's licensed to practice in a couple other places besides California, as you see on his website. But if you need some legal advice, you got a contract coming up, maybe you got some racing stuff going on. The guy's a motorcycle rider. Been doing this for a long time. He's got good advice for you. Maybe a motorcycle accident. You need some advice, need some help, need some counsel, bike911.com. Go check him out. Jason Pridmore, you didn't need any advice over the weekend. You're at Walla. How'd that go? It was great. Oh man, it was so perfect out there this week. We we rode
1: Saturday, Sunday, and then d- rode Monday as well. It was really nice out there. It's huh. Greg. It was it was like I don't know, seventy five degrees, no wind, eighty degrees, whatever. So yeah, it's it was uh, it was it was great. And then uh, you know Richie, but it, for, it
0: wasn't a race weekend that weekend. No, was no, just,
1: no. It was just a uh, SoCal. Sorry, SoCal track, SoCal track days. and we got CVMA coming up in December. Uh-huh. So. Both December and January are going to be really busy months because they kind of run the weekends back to back. So in December, we have Femwala. Then we have SoCal Track Days as well, but that comes after the race weekend. So you're kind of going to go out there early, and uh, I'll do stuff with with uh, on the Wednesday, Thursday at Dale Kiefer's Days. And then the races are Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I'll come home Sunday night, and then i got to turn around and go right back out there Thursday.
0: So, yeah. by the way, Femwala, if you don't know what Femwala is, it's 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 a women's only basically track day, right, Jay? Mm-hmm. And it's great, it's for such a great cause too. And um they uh
1: they I I can't remember how many years they've been doing it now, but a lot of donations come in from all the industry, a lot of different people um put my put stuff in there, like well, you know, I'll donate a couple schools and and uh yeah, it's it's a it's a great event. They'll run three different groups for the ladies. It's very, very, uh, it's, it's very
0: fun day. So um, they'll do that and on the chill. Friday. And it's chill. You don't have Dude, testosterone. You have to worry about yeah. dudes blowing <laughs> around the outside of you. For women, because I've been doing stuff like this. I mean, Kawasaki did this years ago where they did. We we're out of Vegas. and They did a women's only track day thing and hugely successful. So if you're within driving distance of Chuck Walla, go, go check out uh, their website. And if you're interested, go hey, ride. If you're,
1: if you're not even from the area, there's plenty of people now that have motorcycles out there. Don't so, like to rent and stuff. Yeah, you can go to 619 Knee Draggers with Randy. I'm sure he's, he's got a fleet of motorcycles now. So if you're on the East Coast and you're freezing and you've heard about this great <laughs> event and you'd like to bring a friend or you want, you know, bring your husband out or whatever the case is. And a lot of people turn it right into the weekend because you're already out there. So SoCal Track Days is there on that um, Saturday, Sunday as well. And then, and that goes right into our member Mondays. So yeah. Greg, you should see the garages there now in, in the sense that like all the way down from one to like eight now are all, all motorcycle guys.
0: Cool. That's
1: <laughs> yeah, awesome. Cause, cause uh, you know, Hudson Valley, Richie and Corey, they, they got a garage out there now. So they brought a bunch of guys out from New York. And so those guys are keeping their bikes in the garage for the winter. So like. Now it's, yeah, you got to come out to, you got to come out here, GW. You got to come out and hang with us. We'll figure it out January or February um and, and have you get out here again with us. Cause it's, it's pretty fun now. I mean, it's a great
0: time. Yeah. I'm looking forward to doing so, that for sure. Hey, in this podcast, we're going to be talking to Cameron Bobier after a up and down season in Moto2 for Cam. We had a chit chat with him or I did. And then we're going to play some of those clips and then we're going to be talking about World Superbike final we crowned a new world champion jason it was a great weekend did you get a chance to watch any of those races i know you're on the track yeah. i loved it and you know i sat there last
1: night i told you you know earlier i i've just been having trouble sleeping again and i sat there and i was i was cracking myself up because i was kind of playing devil's advocate and i felt like we kind of all got cheated that we didn't get that third race
2: <laughs> and i thought yeah. i'd
1: bring some things up to you because i was just sitting there. i was just thinking about him last night and and um i mean I mean, but look, that guy, you know, top rack, uh, unbelievable. What a deserving champion as well. And uh, was it Yamaha's first championship, I think, since 2009 with Ben Spees? Is that correct? Mm, yeah, that's correct. Yeah, so that's, you know, a, a dry run for those guys. Happy for Paul Danning and all of his crew. Great group of guys over there. the Patty Yamaha guys. So, um, And I think next year, I know that in the news stuff here that you're getting ready to key up here in a minute. I know they've already been out testing the Ducati with Batista on it today, I think you said, has already been out testing. So there's um, World Superbike next year is going to be great. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's going to be awesome. We're also going to be talking about MotoGP. They tested last week at Jerez towards the end of the week. And Moto2 was testing on Sunday and Monday as well. We're going to touch a little bit on that in the news. So... Yeah, listen, if you want to support the channel, go visit patreon.com slash Garage TV. Uh, the interview that we're gonna do with Cameron Bobier is is some sound bites that I've pulled from the interview, but I'll post the entire interview for our Patreon subscribers. I have a Josh Heron interview from two podcasts ago as well, that's up there in its entirety. So if you want to go support the channel, you get a couple little benefits like that. There'll be more of that stuff coming along the way, especially during this offseason. If you want to check out any videos I do, you can go to Greg's Garage TV, YouTube channel, and all that kind of stuff. So let's get right into news presented by Arai. Because you know, Jason, for two generations, three of them, Arai's been making some of the world's best helmets. And of course, Arai helmets meet all safety standards, but they also pride themselves in a blend of engineering, tech, and human craftsmanship. That makes an Arai helmet fit better and feel better, which also protects you better. Your head's worth it. With Christmas right around the corner, Go visit AraiAmericas.com, get yourself a Christmas gift, or buy a great helmet for one of the ones you love. AraiAmericas.com for more information on tech, fit, finish, paint jobs. Americas.com because you owe it to you. All right, let's do this thing. So obviously, Jason, we I mentioned that there was a private test uh, that was for the Moto2 riders held in Jerez on Sunday and Monday. That included Cameron Bobier and Sean Dillon Kelly. On the American Racing Team. Now they had some iffy weather weather, like it wasn't perfect, but Telestino Vietti comes out on top of a 141.706. The 2021 race record was Sam Lowe's at a 141.3. So they were only a couple tenths off of that. Aaron Canet was second fastest, and I think a title favorite for next season. On the Moto 3 riders that are moving up, Philip Salich actually clocked in eight tenths of a second off of Vietti, and he was the fastest of those Moto three riders going to Moto 2. But in terms of Moto 2 rookie and Moto America Super Sport Champ, SDK forty, by the way, he's now gonna be SDK four. Yeah, yeah. I saw that. You know, yeah. He was P9, Jay. He was wow. one second off the pace. Our boy Bobier was a second and a half off in P seventeen. Sam Lowe's was like twentieth. Just to also mention uh, Pedro Acosta, the Moto three rookie world champion, uh, goes straight into Moto two. He was thirteenth. He had a he had a little tip-off, but he's gonna be okay. So what are your thoughts about uh the Moto2 test? Well, I mean, look, if uh,
1: you got to think that SDK is so pumped after that, that, that result. I mean, look, I know it's extremely early. Um, now the real work will start for him even more so because he's got a taste of, well, I mean, already in the top 10, ninth. I mean, that's, that's pretty impressive. You have to say, especially when you look at Acosta and the team that Acosta's on, and I know he's only 17 or 18 years old as Acosta, but the pedigree that he already has uh, for SDK to go over there and be ninth—it's pretty impressive, G Dub. I have to say, uh, I, it's it's always fun. I didn't really get to you know when I'm gone on the weekends. I kind of rely on you a little bit to to look at these results. And when I saw this on the rundown this morning. I was like, am I seeing that right? Like SDK ninth, that's really, really impressive. And I didn't know if it was like a full test, team test. I didn't really know what it was, but that's pretty good. I mean, uh, he's got to be pretty stoked. And I and I got to think that for some of the guys like Cam um, and some of the regular runners that you have, they've been through a long, arduous season. Some of them are are battling some injuries. Some of them are probably just, there wasn't really a lot to test from what I understand in the sense that. Uh, there were some tires that needed to be tested for Dunlop. But yeah. when you're kind of done with the year and you don't really have anything to test, uh, you're you're kind of just ready to get home, you know? And it's yeah. not like these guys mail it in, but it's like they're not going to push over the edge going into their off-season, going to the off-season, especially if you're healthy right now, uh, taking nothing away from, from any of the new runners. But, you know, those guys that haven't been on Moto2 bikes before that might be coming from Moto3 or an SDK coming from somewhere else, they're already at that point where they're trying to prove something, you know, they they yeah. want to get out there and go now. And I think that, um, that said,
0: uh, where SDK ended up is, is really, really, really impressive. We're going to try to get him on the podcast, Jay, because what, you know, he, he did spend quite a bit of time in Europe before coming back here at 16 okay. years old. So I want to find out from him, how much track experience he does have? Looking at the you know 2022 MotoGP calendar, yeah. You know, in talking with Cameron Bobier, I don't think it's in the interview clips that we have. I don't, I'm not even sure that we talked about this while I was recording. But you know, Cameron did say that he feels that SDK has got a good you know foundation underneath him, and Cameron also feels it's going to be an easier transition going from a super sport machine to a Moto2 bike than it is. From a super bike. Yeah. To Moto two. And, and, and a lot of that really just has to do with the way you ride it. And of course the available electronics that are on a super bike versus a super sport bike slash, you know, moto two bike, but there is a big transition and you're going to hear about that in the interview. And and most of that just has to do with the chassis. It's moto two bikes, a real race bike versus a production bike that you take racing. And I think that you're exactly right though. Getting used to the
1: speed from you know, a 600 bike here in America that he's been riding for the last couple of years, that speed relation is going to be a lot easier to transition to. I think for, for guys like Cameron and you've got to look at a guy like Jake Dixon who came from BSB coming from super bikes and jumping back on something a little bit smaller, a lot of times is easier. But when you have a prototype chassis, that production, production bike thing to to prototype chassis is, it's a big step. But when you do, take out the equation of having to get used to a different kind of motor or feel or speed. I think that makes that transition a little bit easier and SDK is hungry. And I think that when you look at, I think these guys go over there to Europe with kind of a chip on their shoulder to say, Hey, don't forget us over here in America. We're, Mm -hmm. We're okay as well. And we can ride. And I think that that's something that, that he probably takes a lot of pride in too. So um, it's good for our series to see, you know, our champion go over there and be ninth right off the bat, I think is, is a pretty good tell. And he's probably, you know, obviously he's ridden, probably ridden Jerez a bunch in the past.
0: Yeah. He, I think he had, I mean, he, he oh, yeah. rode, I think he rode there a couple days before the, that test. He rode Portimao. Oh, I know Portimao. Was, is that what he did? He went to Portimao
1: because I was thinking about going over for the Portimao race, MotoGP, you know, cause there was a weak difference between Portimao and Valencia. And in between the Portimao race and the Valencia race, they had track days at Portimao. And uh, I was looking at going over there with with a couple of guys. And uh, as it turned out, they just didn't have any bikes for us. Because otherwise, I would have been there. And that would have been neat. But Uh, I know that I think that's where SDK rode. He rode at Portimao.
0: Gotcha. Okay. Well, now I have to shed a tear because my boy, Zach Osborne, has announced his retirement from Mm. professional racing. 16 years of a very special career that saw him obviously race here and in Europe then back here again. So happy trails to Zach Osborne. I'm thinking though, I'm think something, you know, I I don't communicate with Zach. Obviously my boy, because of, you know, he used to watch two wheel Tuesday and all this kind of stuff, but something tells me that he's going to be back on a bike at some point. I wouldn't put it past him to do like GNCCs or something like that. I don't know. Now
1: you got to think though, Greg, like, and again, I haven't really followed up on this very much, but he had a pretty severe back injury. It sounded like for most of the year, that's why he was on the DL. and, You got to kind of wonder it. I mean, obviously that's got to, that had to play a part in this. uh, I would think, I I don't think you come off winning a four hundred and fifty championship, go into the next year, get injured, sit out and then just retire. You got to start to think that, that he has, maybe his body is just pretty beat up or he's got a significant enough injury where um, it's just not possible for him to, to ride anymore. And you know, that GNCC stuff is pretty rough as well. I mean, I know how gnarly that stuff gets. So, You kind of almost wonder if it's you know his back or something just isn't strong enough anymore to, uh, or he's been warned that if he gets hurt again, it could be something worse. Uh, Yeah, it's a good point. That's a it's a little worrisome, but definitely a guy that that you know cut his teeth in Europe, didn't he? And I mean, was over there for so long and then came over here and really impressed. And I think won a couple of championships, won an indoor championship, but that very controversial pass, if you remember, (laughs) in Vegas, (laughs) yeah. But I loved over Joey Savacchi. I mean, look. Two corners to go, last lap of the race, last lap for the championship, everything on the line. Was it aggressive? Oh, yeah, it was aggressive. But, but, uh, but yeah, it's sad to see Zach uh, have to, to, to move on.
0: But good luck to him with whatever he does. Really good dude. So yep. good luck with the rest of whatever you're going to be up to, Zach Osborne. We hope we hear from you again in the motorcycling community. Now, speaking of Supercross, um, although NBCSN is going to go off the air December 31st, which I don't know if a lot of people really have been up with that, but NBCSN goes goes bye-bye, Supercross will stay on the properties of the Peacock Network. Now, um, if you want to find out where Supercross is going to be on your television <coughs> screen, then you better just go to supercrosslive.com slash tickets. That webpage actually has times and it has networks already. But here's some information. Like the season kicks off January 8th, Anaheim, Jason. Yep. Qualifying is going to be on the Peacock streaming service at 4 p.m. East. But the gate drop will be <clears> on CNBC <throat> at 10 p.m. East and on Peacock. Now, the next one from Oakland, gate drop is on USA Network and Peacock. Okay. okay. So you're going to have to hunt around a bit. Like say round six, for instance, Anaheim, I think that's Anaheim, Three at that point maybe yeah, i'm not really sure sky. i'm so far behind on yeah. all of this but like so so that one okay the sixth round is only on peacock it's not on any of the nbc properties yeah. however with that said the last four races of the season will all air on nbc the big network so i would say the, the majority of them from looking at the schedule they're yeah. either going to be on cnbc or usa network wow okay so it's going to be a bit you know of a thing hunting and pecking around to try to find where the races are this season. Um, yeah, but I mean, that, that's kind of, you know, what's happening at this point with broadcast television, really making a transition, Jay, you know, I mean, networks are starting to be reduced. People are cutting the, cutting their cable, you know, off and and streaming and stuff. So it's, we're in a very weird transition right now in terms of how people view stuff. How so people view stuff. Yeah. I got peacock. Yeah. So I've
1: already up on that one. So yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's, it, it just makes it hard. It makes it harder, you know, um, If you're on the road and you want to set anything to, you know, to kind of watch on your TV when you get home, it makes it hard because you've got to kind of source it out, don't you, a little bit and figure out what's going to come on and then what's on before it that could delay your your show or whatever. So, yeah, I mean, nowadays everything's on laptops and when you and I are on the road. That's kind of how we have to watch things.
0: See, what's interesting is I had ATT TV that's now transitioned into direct TV stream, I think is what they call it. Mm-hmm. And I actually have apps that are integrated into my quote unquote cable. It's yeah. really all digital. So like I just discovered, I think three weeks ago that I have the GP app that I can, so any app that's on Android, I can actually go get it through and I can control it through my cable thing on TV and stuff. So I have Peacock, I have all that stuff. So that's that that's going to be good for us because obviously we need to keep up on stuff um, because we've got to figure out what we're going to do with fantasy. Now oh. it is a rye it's it's a rye news, right? Yeah. And we want you to watch Supercross because we want you to participate in our fantasy. Of course, whoever wins is going to win an rye helmet. That'll be a given. We just well, need you to wait. We need you to weigh in on what you want us to do. That's what I'm going to say. And so, anybody out there, you want to do Pulp MX fantasy, or do you want to do RM? fantasy sx.com just hit up jason pridmore on his twitter instagram <laughs> just dump all that stuff on uh-huh. jason yeah. get on his last post make a comment on what you want to do we've <laughs> got to make the decision i think what might happen is we're we're probably i'll participate in both we did probably. we did. i last like the year. pulp one myself because it
1: takes a little bit of thought you can't have the same guys every week i like it and i and i like uh you know i like listen i, I like i like to pulp too, too.
0: I, yeah. yeah yeah the show's great i like pulp Two, the only problem is if you miss a week, you're host, yeah, you know, yeah, and well, that's the thing. I mean, I missed one Moto GP and my team just carried over, you know. Where I, I don't didn't want to hear you complaining about your Moto GP crap. No, I'm saying that's yeah, why I, I was like able it.
1: to be. I think I owe you more money in Moto GP fantasy this year than I've ever owed anybody.
0: Yeah, that is nice. You killed it this year, so are you my gonna ben- bring my, it? Are you? Are you my to be is that lighting sharp? up. Are you wait, gonna be that? Wait, sharp? Did you- did you talk to Kevin? Did, did I get anything from winning the Chuck Walla League? Did you talk to anybody no, about I that didn't. this weekend? You know, fantasy is a little off in the back of my brain at this stage after my oh, performances man. this year. So, yeah, all right, fine. I'll
1: get on it for you. I know I owe you money from, you know, Uncle Skip's one and and Anthony's one and yeah, you probably won something <laughs> at Chuck Walla. Who knows? Maybe you want to, maybe you want a free five laps around the track at Chuck Walla. Who knows?
0: Oh God, that'd be so good. Maybe <laughs> on the back with Dale Kiefer. I'd love. There that. you go, Dale. Th- Dale, throw you on. By the way, not in the rundown, Jay, but I just do want to mention this. Big announcement yesterday. Uh, it's on MotoGP.com. Obviously, Moto America announced it, that there's going to be a new racing series that is basically the road to GP. It starts in 2022. It's called the North American Talent Cup. And North American Talent Cup, Jason, is going to be run on Aprilia RS250SP2 machine uh, machinery. The age for 2022 is 13 to 16. Of course, that'll change in 23. As we talked about, the minimum age is going to go up to 14. But <coughs> excuse me, it'll be sanctioned by the AMA. Two races will be run in mo- with with uh, Moto America, and one race is going to be run Moto GP. So the first one will be yeah <coughs> will be Coda. Look, I'm just going to touch on that. We are going to do a deeper dive in the podcast as to how this fits into U.S. racing versus a Volley Cup versus uh, Junior Cup. Where does the North American Talent Cup come in? We know that there's an Asia Talent Cup. The rules, all that kind of stuff are very similar. So we'll do a deeper dive, but I, just, I did want to mention that, um, that we're on top of that. We know that that's happening. It's exciting news. And as we find out more information, I'm sure there's going to be quite a few parents that are going to be interested in to sign up for the North American talent cup. So,
1: well, it's just great that there just seems to become more and more stuff that, that for kids to get into kids to go and race uh, more alternatives for parents to put their kids in. And I'll tell you, Greg, it's, it's nice. We weren't in this position six, seven years ago. Like we just weren't, were we? And mm-hmm. I think that again, it kind of goes back to a lot of the, the vision and things that Moto America even was to start with, it was to get more young people involved. And it seems like their association with Ovali and some of the stuff that we've done, um, you know, as far as the, the, the mini stuff, it's, it's just growing. And in road racing, it's growing big. Like I said, I went to the mini majors a couple of weeks ago down at Paris and there was 968 entries. And those kids were from four years old to 16, I believe it was. And it was absolutely packed. And now it just seems like we're getting more and more opportunities for kids to get on street bikes, road race bikes, whatever. There's people doing things at go-kart tracks all of the time. So yeah, it's great. Um, and after they get off those mini bikes, Greg, and go-karts and all, you know, go-kart tracks stuff, they start making their way into the rest of the world. And for us, this last weekend, we saw a guy that has pretty much set a standard. Top racers, Scott goes on and and claims his championship in Indonesia. And I think there's so much so much for us to talk about, but it'd be unfair to talk about anything else um, other than just the incredible season that he had, I think, for two minutes, just discussing things. He, he looked pretty undeterred by anybody or anything throughout the course of the year. He fought yeah. a lot of advi- adversities. <laughs> and I mean, just some of the pictures of him coming into turn one at that new circuit in Indonesia, um, you can definitely tell that he's special. He's got a great team around him. Um, like I said, at the beginning of the podcast, I'm I'm happy for Paul Denning and all those guys. Um, but when you watch him ride, Greg, his moves are hard. He's aggressive. He never seems to really touch anybody. He's got that uncanny ability to put the bike kind of anywhere he wants. Other than I think race two with Bassani when they, they, you know, he touched a little bit into that last corner, um, which again is racing. Uh, You you sit there and you, you watch what he did all season long and some of the adversities that he had to fight back from. I mean, very, very deserving champion and a guy that I think that when you look at Johnny Ray winning six championships in a row, I really do believe Johnny can look at top rack and go, hey, take your hat off to this guy. He wrote amazing. Yeah, and
0: he did. Johnny was a class act all the way through it. I mean, even post race interview after race one, when he wrapped up the championship, you know, they went to interview him and Johnny said, look, yeah, I won the race, but this isn't about me. It's about top rack. And I thought, uh-uh. mm-hmm. you know what? After six years of winning it in a row, you could give Johnny any reaction he wanted to And my, he's earned it, but he did. He went up top and he was class act and top rack really is the same way. I mean, you know, he, he, there's a lot of emotions obviously wrapped up winning a world championship. There's a lot of stories of top rack, you know, his dad passed away. He didn't have a lot of money. He took a chance on coming race and he's been working really hard at it. The team. Took a chance on top rack and said, "I think we can put a package together that that works." And Yamaha, credit to them and what they've done. That bike looks so good. I mean, yeah. it just works really well everywhere. Did Thing you see is in, pop- Did you watch? Did you watch first practice? It was great because yeah, I, I know Dude, it was a. He was like a little bit.
1: It was the one and a half seconds or something. but I know it was a little harder for you because you're on the East Coast, but for us, it was like.
0: Like prime time out here. It was like eight or nine o'clock. Yeah, no, no. I watched this first, first practice was like, <laughs> like 10, 1030 or something. So okay, yeah, I was still yeah. up yeah. watching it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and he, he gets out. He goes right out of the gate. And it was just like, are you going to take five minutes to learn the track? And he was like, nope. No, but that's what those guys do. Dude, they hammer. They hammer. That's just what it is. You just go out and you hammer. And Yeah, but dude, there was at the beginning of the session, he mm-hmm. was three seconds faster than anybody for a long time. Yeah, for a bit. I mean, the thing is, is
1: that he went there with a mindset of. I'm not going to ride around and collect this championship because he knew that there was one guy that wasn't going to look like that. And, yeah. and, and, and it gets, a, and what it does is when you get up to speed that quick, it just helps you get to a setup so much faster. And a lot of the guys closed the gap in the second session only to see him, you know, go a little bit quicker again. Yeah. So, you know, when you sit there and you look at things, it was just so impressive watching him get up to speed, do what he needed to do, get to ripping and, Just so deserving. I mean, all the way around throughout the weekend and even in the in the wet race and the stuff that he was doing, it was it was
0: it was awesome watching how hard he raced those guys. But here's the other thing that's impressive to me is that Johnny Ray has not lost a step, not a step, in my opinion. (laughs) And so like not at all, not at all. So top rack beat Johnny Ray at the peak of his career with a great crew that he's had for a long time. All that knowledge. And just did it heads up. And I, that's I the thing. And I think what really got Top Rack that championship more than anything else was his improvement in the wet. His improvement in the wet is dramatic. Uh, yeah, like, I mean, he, like that is no longer a disadvantage. And, you know,
1: I was sitting there last night, and I was playing devil's advocate on something only because, again, I was just laying there wide awake, couldn't sleep. And I'm sitting there thinking, you know, we kind of got cheated because let's just say for argument's sake, that that race on Saturday happened in the wet and top rack finishes fourth and Johnny wins that race. Right. Mm-hmm. I believe from first to fourth, I, and, and you'll know better than I do. It's like a 10 point def- difference, nine point difference, maybe
0: mm, 16 to 12. Yeah. Is it
1: 25 points for win? then it goes 25, 20, 17. Yeah. I no, think it goes third? 16, it goes 16. Okay.
0: Yeah. And then 15 fourth. No, 14.
1: All right, so let's just say for argument's sake that first race on Saturday would have happened in the wet, and you take the results that we had on the second race on Sunday. Mm -hmm. uh, And he goes first to fourth. I mean, that would have taken that points gap down to under 20, and then we would have had the Super pole race and maybe another wet race. I mean, look, I'm just saying from a fan's perspective, it would have been so fun to see three races there because the track looked so good, and how good was the grip in the wet? I mean, look, if (laughs) any other racetrack in the world Needs to look at, uh, you know how it's done. Whatever yeah. they did there, as far as I mean, a lot of times, Greg, when you go to a new track, especially offline, it's it's not going to be that good in the wet. And that place was unbelievably raceable yeah. in the wet, and it made the racing so much fun. You know, at one point it was raining still pretty hard, and you heard the commentators talking about, uh, you heard Steve English talking about. Um, they were only like nine seconds off the dry times. Yeah, nine seconds in a downpour. Like yeah. I mean, for for those of you that have never ridden on a wet racetrack, track day guys that go, I'm not gonna ride in the rain. Um, a lot of that could be warranted at times, but but there are tracks around the world that you can go ride in the rain and have so much fun. And that just looked like one of them. I mean, what did you think of the circuit and the surroundings that you saw throughout the week? It was beautiful.
0: Yeah, I mean, it that great, little huh? island where they are, the the, the scenics were fantastic. Mm-hmm. I thought the track looked I mean, you you could you could race semis on that track. It was Un- wide, unreal. The surface looked good. I mean, you know, it wasn't you know, it wasn't the perfect the perfect thing, but you know, you could see some slow mos of of some suspension working. But when you have a track a track that's that smooth and brand new, teams can do some things that you can't do when you have a bumpy track like Coda, right? Like, right, correct, correct. But it was raceable. There were moves being made in certain spots. The only knock on that track. Was the curbing, and if you watch the ride, the, when they were in the wet, people were avoiding the curbs. Yeah, they were, they were, they were spinning up a little bit on those. I saw, You know what's funny, Jade? They were avoiding the curbs like they would avoid grass if there was grass on the outside of <laughs> curbings. <laughs> oh, you're sucking me in here, aren't you?
1: And not green to, paint. <laughs> you're trying. You're trying. You know what's funny is is it's a, just seems <laughs> in World Superbike that that. It's not as prevalent, is it? Like they're not as quick to just keep calling guys out on that rule. Uh, No, yeah, they're not. Uh -uh. Regardless of that, which I like, Steve English and I, we were going back and forth. And he's like, he said, Jason, he goes, the funny thing is, is it's, they're still building here. Like they're still fully under construction there. They were still, Mm -hmm. even though that what we were seeing on, you know, on our TV screens and things like that, everything looked pretty well sorted, but he was telling me that he loved the place. It was beautiful um he did say there was no golf so it's that there's one kind of <laughs> oh there's no one, there's one thing that we might have to you know put against it but but anyway so let's go through a little bit of results here Greg because I think okay. you know when I look at it um when you look at race one Johnny Ray comes out on top of just really a barn burner of a race it was incredible and top rack at one point you know, you knew that he had he knew he had to finish second. And he just kept fighting and fighting and he ends up finally getting away from Redding at the end and actually closed the gap down onto the back of Ray at the finish. So, he was very definitive in knowing that let's get this championship wrapped up. He does it right after race 1. And and for those that don't know, um, and I was I don't know, I you might have been in bed, but I sat up at Walla waiting for race 1 to start on Saturday and when I saw that rain come, I said, "Uh-oh." Like to the warm-up lap where Lioglu almost I did. I mean, he could have flung it. And that's what I'm saying. You know, when I was watching that race, there's so many things that could have really happened mm-hmm. in that race, Greg, where if they had ran that race on Saturday, especially after he he almost flings it on the warm up lap, Ooh. had they figured, had it not rained that hard and they'd figured out a way to just throw rains on those bikes and send them. I mean, yeah, it, you can't sit there and go on ifs and buts and whatever. I mean, who knows? Johnny could have thrown it away in that race too. You just never know. But, uh, but yes, Johnny Ray goes on and, and wins that race, Greg, over Resgatioglu and Scott Redding. Uh, Andrea Locatelli, a guy that I think is going to be right smack in the mix of everything next year. I mean, Greg, I'm excited already for mm-hmm. next year because you're going to have Ray, Resgatioglu, both guys we know are going to be there. Redding, let's see what he can do on that BMW. I know he's going to get the chance to test it in December. But I believe the next two guys, Locatelli and Bassani, are both going to be guys that are going to be you know, a pain for these other guys I, next year. I think Bassani, how impressive was he this year? Um, Incredible. Vandomark ends up six. Batista again, like you say, Greg's already testing the Ducati. He's going to be a thorn. Uh, mm-hmm. Chaz Davis, nice to see him get him's top 10. Finishing eighth. Mercado. Sykes ends up 10th. Gerloff ends up 11th after a tremendous start. Rinaldi, way back in 12th. 26 seconds back, Greg. I mean, Jesus. Um, yeah. Vinales, Cavallari, and Nozani there in race number one. And in race two, later on that afternoon, they went straight to race two, didn't they? We didn't get to see that Super pole race that's kind of become, uh, you know, kind of a, a fun little sprint race that we get to see. But Johnny goes on and wins that race in the wet over a very determined Scott Redding who was trying everything he could. Uh, Vandemark, Rizgatioglu ends up fourth in this one. Sykes Gerloff came through the pack again ends up six and also claims um uh what do they call it Greg? Um, the, up, in, on, the, independent, yeah, the independent the top independent top yep. independent rider trophy yeah yeah yeah. he ends up sixth uh and the, a big reason for that is because Bassani did tip off we'll get to that in a minute too Nazani mm-hmm. with a good result for him he ends up seventh um Locatelli Vinales Batista Ponson and Davis were back Cavalieri. Now, a couple guys that were missing, obviously. Uh Leon Haslam had a shoulder surgery, Greg, uh in between rounds. Um between the Portamount round that they did and this one, and he just wasn't quite fit enough to go. So, unfortunately, Leon in what could be the possibly the last World Superbike race we see him in. A lot of rumors of him possibly going to uh back to BSB. And Alex Lowes, who unfortunately High-sided himself in that second session on Friday afternoon and landed right on his bad shoulder again. I mean, he just fought. Bad luck, Yeah, he just fought injuries all year long, did Alex. But, um, you know, race two, Greg, was fine, man. When you saw six, seven guys in the rain, and you know who I was really pulling for in that one was? uh, Mercado. God, he was right there, you know. And I am definitely I want to reach out to him. I want to get him on the podcast. That kid's riding really hard. He's back with the same team, the MEI Honda team, next year. And did you see who his teammate is? Uh yeah, I did see it. Um, Sareen.
0: Yeah, that's right, Hafid Sirene. Yeah,
1: Sirene yeah. is going to be his teammate. So they're going to run a two rider program next year. There's so much going on in World Superbike, and I'm gonna, you know, we're gonna get a few of these guys on. I think it'd be fun to get, you know, it'd be fun to get Johnny back on here. Um, I think there's a few of these guys that I could probably convince to come on our show and let them know that we have, you know, three and a half listeners. And, it's a, fri- uh, that it's that a friendly.
0: It's a friendly environment here.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, but I think World Superbike going into two thousand and twenty-two is in an incredible place. Have you seen a calendar for it yet? I haven't seen a calendar for. No, I have not, and I don't. I am not sure if they announced it. Have they? <clears throat> I don't know if they have. But uh, yeah. So, anyways, um, the championship ends up with Rosgatiaglu winning with <clears throat> with five hundred sixty four points. Jonathan Ray only thirteen points back. Greg at the end of the day. Um, Redding ends up 63 points back in third. Locatelli in what I thought was an incredible rookie season. He ends up fourth. Boy, Yamaha has got to feel like they're in a great spot going into next year again with those two plus Gerloff. Um, Michael Rubin, Rinaldi ends up fifth overall. Vandermark ended up sixth. just your top 10 real quick, Greg, uh, Vandermark ends up, up sixth. Garrett Gerloff ends up seventh. And I think that when you look back on Garrett's season, um, it was a kind of a tale of two seasons, really, wasn't it? I mean, he started off really, really hot. Kind of had the world looking at him. He had a MotoGP ride that he went and did. I mean, he was like, get signed. And literally from the day he signed, things kind of went bad. Because that's right before Assen. We saw some things go on there at Assen that, you know, um, you know, obviously affected the rest of his year. Lowe's ends up dropping to 8th. Bassani, ninth, And Batista, 10th. Greg, real quick. Out of those top 10, when you look at these top 10... and is there one guy that stands out to you moving into next year that you look at and go look out for that guy out of those top 10 guys that we just talked about?
0: Uh, well, I mean, I think, I think you already touched on, it. I think probably Bassani yeah. is one that stands out, but also Bautista's moved to Ducati. I'm mm-hmm. very intrigued to see how that goes. I hear that there's some changes to the Ducati motorcycle coming down the pipe. Um, you know, you stood track side. I mean, you tell I me of you know, those top 10, who do you, who, <laughs> who stands out in your mind?
1: Well, it's it's great, you know. Greg, I'll tell you, Batista, um my views of him completely changed when I went over there. And you and I have talked about this privately. Um Batista from he visibly looks like he's riding harder, just really, really hard. And he was trying to get everything he could out of that Honda, even though he knew he had already signed with Ducati for next year. You could tell he had not given up on his season. And he he really impressed me with a lot of things. Did he send some bikes down the road? He did. And what was really impressive to me was how much I heard other people talking about what a threat Batista is going to be back on that Ducati again next year. Almost to the point where we've been critical a little bit on maybe that being the biggest gag job I've ever seen in a championship in 2019. That was the year that that Ducati should have won the championship. That's how I feel anyways. And there are people now that re- think to themselves like – Next year, this is Ducati's best chance to win with Batista on there. And there are writers who told me that. There are crew members that have told me that separately. So I think when you look at it, um, he is definitely a guy to look at. I think Bassani, depending on the equipment, um, will be a guy to look at. And, of course, you gotta you got to throw Garrett in there. Let's hope that Garrett can have a good, solid offseason get into testing, get his head stuck in where we know he can ride. Cause if you watch Greg at the start of that, was it the, I think it was the first race. He was up to fourth at the start of going into turn one. He was fourth. I think he was up to second, Jason. He might've been anyways. And when they were tipping into turn one, he was right there. And by turn two, he was 10th. Yeah. And so that has got to be something that he is going to have to fight with. And I think that he, as much as he wanted to put in that great weekend, he didn't want to be any part of, any of the title contenders going into this weekend. He wanted to stay away from those guys. And when that happens, it brings a whole another level of people in and around uh, that, that were able to take advantage of him. But he did what he always has done for the rest of the year. He'd start back there in 10th, 12th, wherever. And then he would just chip away. And by the end of the race, you'd see him running the same lap times as the leaders. And he'd be in the top five, six, seven places, wouldn't he? So let's hope that Garrett can find something during the offseason That's going to give him that confidence to come out and fight from the beginning.
0: I don't think that there's anything that indicates to us that World Superbike is going to be any less entertaining as it was this year, and perhaps even more so. I agree. I agree. Especially if BMW can find something over these next few months that are going to help them take a step. And you could add, because we know... Baz is obviously has podium pace. Oh, my God. So he's in there, right? And then you have the two factory guys. Vandemark has podium pace. He has, yeah. you know, he, it's not like you go onto a different brand and all of a sudden you forget how to ride a motorcycle. Obviously, he can ride in the rain. He proved that he can ride when things are a little bit more on the equal playing field. And then Redding, <clears throat> you know what? The one thing that Scott's really taught me this year is that he figures out how to ride. The bike it's yeah you know what i mean like he really does figure out how to ride the bike and so if it's a case where he's got to adjust his riding style to the bmw i think scott will be able to do it quickly I think, know, and i think that, that you look at the transition from where he was into bsb how quickly he got accustomed to that motorcycle won that championship against a very talented field then comes back to world superbike back to the electronics back to you know a bike that's got a lot of different parts on it than his ducati and bsb yeah. He just adapts quickly, so I super think super adaptable, isn't he? Yeah, if the BMW has it, then it, Scott will will figure it out, and I think that that will trickle down to the rest of the field. Or you know, look, they're going to look for input from all four riders, from what I heard, Laverty included. And, and, so. and let's be honest, like with Eugene, when you talk about La- Laverty, um, you know, when you talk about him,
1: when I was over there at Portimao and uh, and Jerez, it he wasn't miles off of Andemark, and he mm-hmm. and you got to remember, he sat most of the year uh with a team that we've seen all too often you know fold two or three races in he, you know he didn't get to race a full season so yeah kind of nice at bmw it's almost like he's become a bmw ambassador and let's hope that eugene can get up to speed as well because if you had four bmws i would really do believe that you're going to have a minimum of two ducatis up at the front every single weekend um, whether it's passani or Ronaldi. we know rinaldi's good at some places i just get puzzled by how he ends up 26 seconds back. He wasn't even in the factors this weekend. He wasn't even there. So, which is really interesting to me. I think Bassani is the guy right now. I thought it was great that if you watched and there was no malicious activity there at all, but when Top Rat got into the side of Bassani there and it opened the door for Vandemark to go through and it looked like it looked like on the way through that maybe Vandemark's right rear part of the seat touched the handlebar of Bassani and threw him in the gravel. Coming out of the last corner, and you just see Bassani get up, flipping him off, going down the straightaway. I thought it was hilarious. But, uh, um, Bassani, man, he, the kid is good. I mean, for literally a guy that, you know, I've never, Greg, I can be honest, I can honestly tell you that going into round one, I'd never heard of him before. And to see this guy do what he did this year and the consistency that he had, the energy that he brings, that team has got to be so pumped with him.
0: And he is going to be, he's going to be in the mix next year. Well, so, I think Michael Rubin rinaldi has got to, be thinking about Bassani in the back of his mind. I mean, we've I seen agree. Ducati do this before when Ben Bostrom was on the factory team, wasn't getting <clears> results. <throat> they bumped him to the second team. And then all of a sudden Ben went on a winning streak, you know, that motivation thing, right, right? You know, if, if things don't work out for Ruben Rinaldi next year, if he continues on the path he's on and Ducati gets a little bit frustrated with him, why not, you know, go, go to, to Basani's team. If he's still on Ducati, I don't know what their team, the plan is next year. I think it's the same and say hey we want to move him to the factory team and we're going to give you the we're going to give you the get this guy yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> like No, i agree well yeah i mean
1: you you you're 100% right and and i think you know you got what do you got next you got 4 BMWs and 3 Ducatis i don't know how i don't know how um 4 Ducatis right cuz go 11 stay yeah, in with you Ducati got, you got four but you got you got um it will be interesting if Odell really is can get close yeah um, yeah yeah right 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 i'm right. talking about
0: the three you know you got you really got three competitive ducatis ones yeah, yeah competitive ones so you have yeah so. yeah you, you have four bmws <laughs> you have three ducatis you have two kawasaki's and then you have well we don't know what's going to happen with honda right because we have two well, new riders and, and, and to be fair it's great that you, it's weird we we just did it again because i'm sitting there thinking about
1: honda and it's like that's the only wild cards next year i mean ecker is an amazing motor gp rider we know that but has had a tendency to throw the thing down a lot, and we just I, the Chavi Vieri thing. I don't really get. Uh Maybe they see something in him that I don't. Maybe I don't. I don't understand it. So, for me personally, Honda's the big question mark going into next year. Those guys are going to get to go do a lot of testing. I definitely feel like I would have liked to have seen a top superbike guy, at least one guy, stay on that Honda, uh, a superbike rider. You know, we're, we've got a guy coming from Moto Two to World Superbike, and we've got a guy. Coming from KTM Factory Moto GP, who, yeah, could be amazing, could end in tears. We need Honda to be up front. We need it. And I and and I'm I'm hoping, again, let's just hope that like a Chavi Vierge or a or a Lecawona, I think Lecawona will be up front. It's just a matter of sustainability, getting used to the bike, getting used to that project project program. <clears throat> Leon Camier is another guy I would love to have on the podcast just to discuss some things with him about the team manager role that he has now. Um, with Honda and the decision-making behind why we chose the two guys that we chose um, what prevented him from going with, let's say he offers a Chaz Davis that, that opportunity when Batista got signed to Ducati, what if Honda would have gone to Chaz and said, listen, we need a superbike guy of your caliber that can come in and help us develop this Honda. And we're going to have Akira Lakaona alongside of you, you know, a young guy who is coming from MotoGP that would probably push Chaz um, maybe keep the motivation up for Chaz. It, it, it's just it, to me, it's kind of one of those things where I would have preferred to see a superbike
0: rider, at least one guy, on that Honda. What's interesting to me was the Ikema show was this week, and that's the European mm-hmm. show mm-hmm. where everybody announces their bikes. Honda announced some changes to the CBR1000RR-R. Yeah, in terms of more mid-range, with changes to like the airbox and and you know just the way that the motor gets air. Yeah. But what they didn't announce. Was changes to the SP model, which is the model that they race. Yep. Something tells me that Honda's going to make some changes to that motorcycle that would benefit them directly with the rules in World Superbike. It's part of the reason why there's the you know ZX10RR version as well. That was the idea behind that was to was to make. I mean, I don't want to say it's a homologation special necessarily because Honda, you know, Kawasaki (laughs) sold plenty of those things and Honda sells plenty of those things, the SPs and stuff, but they only bring the SP to the United States. So I'm waiting for a spec sheet to come out to see because something tells me that Honda has an idea. And if we get Leon Camier on, it'd be great if he could actually talk openly. But yeah, I know what you're saying. Like, but something tells me there's an idea that they've kind of come up with over the last two years that says, okay, if we go this direction these riders are at least Iker, like Likawona is going to fit into this whole program, but that'll all reveal itself over time. Well, you know, but the, there's something we're not seeing yet that's going
1: on. When a rider when a rider's leaving a team through either getting an offer from another team or the team doesn't want them anymore or their uh, team's just moving on, like so, Haunted, you know, kind of cleaned house. They got, you know, Batista moved on. Haslam um, is gone as well, but you're kind of the English crew over there between Alex Lowe's and Steve English and Haslam and Johnny Ray, you know, they, they all kind of, they, they, they hang a little bit together. They golf a little bit together. And even though Haslam knew that he was gone, um, and Steve English talked about this again, I think on the broadcast this weekend, uh, Haslam really believes that bike's going to be world champion. He's like this, it's, they're going down a path right now where they get a couple little things fixed. This bike's going to win a world championship. So he is still, even though Haslam's moving on from them, it's very rare, it's very rare that you'll hear a writer still talking up about the manufacturer that has just gotten rid of him. Um, but Haslam is very adamant that this bike is really really good, and when they get a couple little things fixed, it's going to be capable. And you got to think the same way about the BMW, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it's like what you said earlier. Let's hope they can get that BMW a little bit closer because it, next year you're going to see it, it's there's going to be seven eight guys literally battling for for race wins each each
0: weekend. I think. Um, it unless, impacts. unless, and the unless is, unless Yamaha figures out some step. Well, they made rack... a big step this year. They made a big one. But you know, but one, you know huh? what I'm saying? Yeah. There is, there is a chance that top rack takes another step.
1: The biggest thing that they got to do right now. And I think that it's pretty well documented is, uh, Kawasaki needs to make a step. Yeah. They have to They have to make a step. So I think world th-
0: Superbike needs to give them back some RPMs. But, but
1: not even that, if you, if you go back and you really watch that race, uh, you you watch how under breaking how stable the Yamaha is compared to the Kawasaki, um, especially under initial braking. If you go back and you really pay attention to some of the slow mo shots, you could see a definite difference in the stability from the Yamaha to the Kawasaki. And you know you like to think, obviously, that Top Rack is definitely a little bit something special when it comes to braking. The guy is in, and he is incredible. But mm-hmm. you have to also remember that you're as good as your motorcycle and that Yamaha under braking looks so incredibly stable. So incredibly in line, the bike doesn't even really get out of line. And when you see, uh, and, and some of that can be rider inputs as well, but you know, Scott Redding, Johnny Ray, all those top guys, they know how to break deeper. And when they see one guy doing it, they want to do it themselves. They're all trying to do the same thing. And if you don't have the equipment underneath you to quite make things a stable, It's a a big advantage for top rack to be able to go into corners the way he does. And those guys need to try to find some stability under braking, um, I think, with the Cowie, as well as definitely needs a little bit more straight line speed. So,
0: You know what um, it reminds me of, Jason? It reminds me of Tony Elias when he came into Moto America and he was beating everyone into the corners. And Yamaha spent the better part of two seasons trying to figure out... How to get that bike more stable under braking, so Cameron Bobier could at least race Tony in that one area correct nobody looked at Tony and said he 's just a better outbreaker than anybody is. They knew that the yeah. way he had set the motorcycle up that was his strength, so they worked on it and worked on it and worked on it, you know, and so that's something that the paddock is going to be looking at for sure, saying yeah. okay, top rack is amazing, he is yep. definitely, but is he such a phenom like you know an alien?" that he's going to be better than anybody on the brakes ever. No, they've got to be able to see what you're seeing, Jason, which is, okay, how do we work on the stability? How do we get it? How do we get it better? How can we make our package better to
1: where we can start to push that envelope and get in there with him? And it's like, you know, you see these things. It's, it's hard to believe that you can have phenoms at this day and age because the bikes are so good that you can rely on so many things that the bike does. Just like going back and talking about the attack bike. It's so good that it allows you to keep pushing your limits. And, Mm -hmm. That bike under braking was insane to me. Like it was so good. But the thing is, is that is that we saw it with Marquez. He set the standard for so many years of his braking abilities and his ability to go in and lose the front and fix and, and 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 get it better. And then all of a sudden, you started seeing videos of a lot of other guys losing the front but being able to save it. And it wasn't just a Marquez thing anymore. So people catch up to that. And I think, Greg, that 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 is one of the things that um, the teams will work on. Overall packages and just getting things better, so it's going to be a fun, fun season next year in World Superbike. And it was a great finale. Congrats to Top Rack. And real quick, another guy I'd love to get on here just to get his thing. But what a career for Chaz Davis! um He was in the paddock for a bunch of years. Obviously, you knew him when he raced over here for Attack. Even um, didn't he win the two hundred? Did he win the? Yeah, Daytona he did 20? win yeah. the two hundred. He yep. won the Daytona two hundred um chaz had a long illustrious career in world superbike and um he went out there i believe with two top tens at uh at indonesia so you know he's going to be off doing what and he's another guy though craig i don't think it's going to be the last time we see him on a motorcycle for some reason i don't know where he's going to crop up but yeah
0: yeah i have a feeling he'll be back but... <laughs> yeah all right jp uh before we move on to MotoGP gp testing and talk about that let's get to our chat with cameron Boby. yeah the Moto America superstar took a, took a chance on himself and stepped away from a crazy successful career here in the U S he went back to Europe to Moto GP, this time on a Moto2 bike. If you don't know, Cam spent a season in Moto GP 10 years ago as Mark Marquez's teammate on a 125 GP machine before it was called Moto3. We know we have such a young audience that's listening. They don't remember what 125 GP is, but uh, his first season back now under his belt. So, I asked him the first question, which everybody would ask him, which is, "So, Cameron, how'd it go?"
2: Yeah, I mean, my season, first season back in MotoGP, it was uh, up and down. I'd say it started off, it started off like pretty promising and pretty positive with a couple top tens early on, and then, like I said uh, last time I talked to you, we just, we kind of just got in a rut. And, uh, I think part of it was, we were just going to new track after new track and just kind of getting beat down weekend, weekend after weekend and, uh, had some crashes, had some mistakes. I really, I think I just needed to go through it though. Like everything I went through this year, good and bad, I think it's just gonna, it's really gonna help me next year. And just moving forward over here, you know, uh, working on my riding style, trying to get off the edge of the tire which has helped me a lot and just really understanding what this bike likes and, and how to ride it and all these tracks. And, uh, it felt so good just to, yeah, obviously my ride at Coda and, uh, just the whole weekend at Coda, how, how smooth it went. And, uh, and same at Portimao. Yeah. Portimao being able to go back there. I know that that was my first top 10 of the season earlier on, I think what what'd we go there, like the third, third round of the year or something like that. And then, yeah, and then it was, it was the second to last round of the year. Yeah. And it was, it was awesome. I mean, I was inside the top 10, most of the practice sessions and uh, yeah, it just felt, felt so good to just come out of there with another solid top five. And one, I had a two day test there at the beginning of the year. And then two, I, we got to race there earlier in the year and then 3 yeah just just coming back to uh a familiar track and just being on pace as soon as I roll out of the out of the pit I think that was good and also I think it's kind of it's it's kind of got like a US style to it it's it's kind of like roller coastery it's up and down I think it's just kind of suited my style more so than some of the other tracks that we've gone to this year and also I don't really think those guys know it quite as well as like Perez or Valencia for example so yeah I love it
0: (laughs) what do you think
1: well it sounds like he's still really positive and that's the main thing and it's 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 exactly right I mean getting used to some of these places that that guys have raced forever um you know Greg the thing is is that what you got to remember is he's going to these tracks and he's seven tenths off sometimes and he's 22nd I know it's not like it's not like it, the, the advantage is really the track as much as it is just getting that fine-tuned setup that I think he needs to just find that extra bit of time because there is literally nothing in it. Like you cannot make the tiniest of mistakes. If you make a tenth of a second mistake, it could drop you back two rows. It's mm. just so competitive and so hard. Qualifying in Moto Two to me might be the hardest session of the weekend. Like it determines every single thing you do, like for the rest of the weekend. Like, motor is just so gnarly. So, I think that when you look and you push forward going into the next season for Cam, it's got to be he knows all the tracks going in. I know there's, I think they're going, they're going to Indonesia too next year, right?
0: Uh, Yeah. Yeah. They are.
1: I'd have to look it up. But, yeah, anyways. Yeah. Um, But, but they're, you know, they're, they're going to know all the racetracks. So, uh, he's going to know most of the racetracks that they're going to. And Mm -hmm. it's like, now it's just a matter of just finding that extra little bit, and qualifying is the key because we know he's got race pace. He's one of the few guys, Greg, that really goes forward in those Moto Two races.
0: He is, which which a lot of the people in Moto GP turn their head and they're like, "Wait a second, here's Cameron. He's in whatever place, say 18th place, Correct. 11th place, but he's doing the same pace that the leaders are doing." That's right. That's and right. That, that has more of an impact than it does in the United States. And it's just kind of the way that we view racing in the U S we're just a hundred percent results driven. Yep. You know what I mean? Yep, like, yep, Oh, yep. you're not a front, who cares what time you're doing, but they don't do that. They looked at that, that, that series looks at it and says, huh, that's really interesting. You know? So they know that Cameron has pace. They know yeah. he's got speed. It's just a matter of putting all the pieces together. So one of the things I was curious about was what was his biggest learning points from this season, things that he learned from riding a moto 2 bike.
2: I'd say one really big thing that it sounds super simple but it's really hard to do is for me just like staying off the edge of the tire like i've always I've always been annoyed at people that like need to follow to to put in a good lap time and stuff like that but that's i'm I'm not gonna lie like that's been me this year and it's it's like hard to admit but it's just is what it is and yeah and I think part of the reason I've been kind of finding out is Obviously one, like learning these tracks and, uh, and trying to get on pace. But two, I've, when I go out by myself, I feel like I'm on the limit. Like I'm, my tires are sliding around, I'm pushing the front, I'm sliding the rear and I'm trying to piece together the track and go as fast as I can. And I, I come in and I'm a second off and I'm riding my freaking butt off. And I think part of that is because I've just been carrying too much lean angle. And it's, it's literally the difference between, like we're talking like 3% lean angle or something like that. And I've spent so much time like trying to adjust my body, my, my riding style this year, just to try to hang off a little bit more, but it's, it's a mix of that and just not carrying so much lean angle. So what I'm, what I'm saying by that is like, I'm cranking the bike over. And so I'm on just like the edge of the tire and like, that's what you do on a, production bike like my super bike like you crank the thing over and it has so much like engine braking and it's just so just planted it into the ground it just like it carves around the corners but that's like not really how this not really how the moto 2 bike goes through the corner fast so i've just been trying to like get the thing picked up a little bit and i haven't really i didn't find this out until uh, i really put it all together uh until just like a few rounds ago so um yeah and so and obviously in the rear brake i was saying that's really helped me i put a thumb brake on my bike and that's really helped me basically kind of uh assist the the engine brake because i mean coming from what i've come from like just how adjustable the electronics are on the super bikes i mean we've we had the electronics so dialed obviously the tc and the engine brake and the wheelie control and all that stuff but engine brake was was a huge thing like you it was corner by corner like we could have that thing so dialed in with richard and and even and before richard with with uh factory yamaha and stuff like that it was especially with richard though like our engine brake was so dialed in that I didn't really even have to use the rear brake that much. But on these, on the Moto2 bikes, we basically just get a chart of of different engine brake maps, like stronger or uh, weaker. And uh, you really have to like assist it with the rear brake. And that's what i slowly been figuring out uh, throughout the year.
0: So in other words... <laughs> In other words, you don't have turn by turn with the Moto Two bike. You basically just have an overlying. So, some maybe one corner, maybe two corners. Yeah. That the engine braking map that you have in the electronics is perfect, and then the rest of the corners, it's not. Or maybe it's eight corners, it's it's good, and, and six corners, it's not. So that's that's part of the learning curve. And again, no traction control, no wheelie control, none of that stuff. Yeah, and using
1: using a thumb brake too tells me that you know a lot of times, Greg, when you I loved hearing you talk about the production bike to the Moto2 bike, you know, the things you could get away with on that bike compared to the things you can't get away with on this bike. But when you start talking thumb brakes, it means that, you know, a lot of times if you go to a predominantly right-handed circuit, these guys are using the rear brake a lot, obviously, to to help get the bike into the corner, get it slowed down, get it turned, whatever the case is. And it's like, it's hard to have your foot on the rear, rear brake a lot of times when you go into right-hand corners, especially if you find yourself trailing in and, this is a conversation I've gotten into with a couple of guys in Superbike too about getting off the rear brake sooner. Um, and the reason for that is because they can control their they control the rear wheel a little bit more through engine braking components on production bikes as opposed to what Cameron is even talking about now. So the thing is, is that it's those those little idiosyncrasies when they've been drummed into you. I mean, how many years was he on a Superbike? You think about that. And and so then he gets over there, he fires over there, and he's on this bike that is just so completely different. And That is something that SDK isn't having to. He's not going to have to go through, is he? Because he's no, he's he's not been on a super bike and had to get used to those idiosyncrasies that Cameron has had to almost forget about. Right? He's had to, He's got to. He's got to learn a new way of riding certain ways, and the intangibles are there to be able to do so. But uh, he's got to go a different route in being able to do that. So, and these bikes, when he talks about being on the edge of the tire and this and that you got to spend such a small amount of time on the edge of the tire because you want to be able to get the bike in, get it turned, get it upright and get it out as opposed to rolling through the corner on the edge of the tire. And then that's, you know, one of the reasons why we saw him losing the front maybe a little bit this year. Um, and the funny part was, is that when he'd lose the front, it looked so innocent. It just looked like he didn't really do anything that wrong, but it's that, like he said, it's that 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 3% that he needs to find or 5%, less lean angle here or there in specific spots of the corners that are going to help him continue his progress.
0: Yeah. I mean, more to that conversation that's available on Patreon was him really talking about the fact <laughs> that, you know, when he was identifying that front end issues were a problem for him at the beginning of the season, it all translated actually as the season wore on back to what he's talking about, you oh, know, those yeah. engine breaking strategies. So you're, you're hundred percent right on that. Now, Jay, for sure, it was uh, a year of ups and downs for Cameron and JP. You and I have talked about the struggles to stay positive, to remind yourself that how you got to where you are and the reasons why. And I asked Cameron about how he managed to keep his wits about him and the support of the people around him and how they helped him through the course of this year.
2: It's hard to say there were. I mean, there definitely there was some low moments, but at the end of the day, like you got to realize to myself needs to realize that like I'm in Europe and I'm racing motorcycles for a living. Like, that's pretty freaking cool. Like no matter how, how rough the last weekend was or anything. And I knew coming into this, I knew that it was going to be hard. Definitely at, at some times I didn't realize it was going to be as, as hard as it was. And with some of the bad luck we've had and stuff like that. But, um, we also had a lot of good, good days and good days on the bike and, good times with the team and all that so um i'd say obviously like the american racing team like they've they've had my back and stuck with me when the the times have been been tough and then obviously my buddy cam gish who's been over here hanging out and helping me out and shelby getting getting over here and uh when she can obviously she has a job at home so she can't and you know our house and our dog and family and stuff like that so she can uh she couldn't be over here all year with me but it was been it's been super cool having her over here uh when she can be and just kind of checking out europe with me and getting to show her around like the little bit i know of europe and uh yeah it's been cool and obviously my family and her family for helping out at home and taking care of whatever needs to be taken care of at home it's uh it's an operation, just like all of it, you know, making sure everything's dialed at home and just being away from home, being over here. And, uh, obviously you get the occasional feeling of being a little homesick, stuff like that. But, uh, I think what's been good for me is just at the end of the day, like I, I chose to do this. I want to do this and, and yeah, I'm racing motorcycles for a living in Europe. It's pretty cool.
1: Well, you know, just hearing that there, uh, makes me think that it's probably the best line you can hear him say that this is something that he wants to do. And the reason why all those people, his family and, and girlfriend and everybody else are rallying behind him is because this is a decision that he chose. It's a decision he wanted to make. And, uh, you know, I haven't really heard Cameron say that out loud. So that, that's a nice thing to hear, Greg, I think at the end of that piece there, because he, um, he wants to be there. He wants to challenge And, And now a guy like him, a champion like him uh, is going to be hungrier going into 2022, probably because of seeing the sacrifices that he's made and everybody else around him has made to to keep him over there. These are things that are going to go back and, you know, in 10 years, he'll be able to look back 15 years and think to himself, wow, I really got a chance to go over there and, and see the world, ride all these great tracks, experience things with all these fantastic people, meet new people, see different cultures. I mean, For me, racing over there is nothing like what these guys are getting to do. I mean, this when you look at their calendar for next year, twenty-two races or something like that. I mean, think of all the places that MotoGP riders go. But it really gives you an opportunity to see the world, um, doing something that you love. But when it's as hard as it is, it'd be so easy for that guy to just go. I want to go back to America. Anybody? Yeah. They they would build somebody would build a team over here to put Cameron Bobier back on a bike. That wouldn't be the hard part. And it's like. He wants to keep the grind,
0: and um, yeah, it's 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 great to hear him just talk the way he just did. Not in this podcast, but in that long interview that's available on yeah. Patreon. I did I did ask him, like you know, something along those lines, like you know, do you, do you regret not staying in the states because you had it so comfy? And he was like, he kind of laughed because he was like, dude, are you kidding me? Like I, got, I had to go race against Jake Gagne this year. Like it would have been a tough season. You it would have been yes. But you know, he the one thing that Cameron doesn't lack is confidence. I mean, he he got to be as many race wins as he has and how many super bike titles he has and all that kind of stuff for, for a reason, you know? So, I mean, from that perspective, it's really important. We've seen people from the States go over to Europe and be successful as long as they have a support around them. And even people that travel within Europe, I mean, you see a lot of these top riders will always have someone that's with them, that's helping them out. And it's the little things, you know, you, you see them, okay, they're bringing the helmet out or they're helping out with the water or whatever it is. But ultimately that person's real job is to be there in the times that are slow, you know, the airport time, killing time there, the motivation of I'm sore. I don't want to go ride like those types of things. And just the moral support of like, Hey, you know, you're the man, you're here for a reason, that type of stuff. So it's really important, I think for parents to understand that if you're, your kid's looking to go to Europe, you know, it's it's difficult. I mean, the one guy that I can say that comes to mind is J.D. Beach. You know, J.D. Beach was, what, 16 years old? when I think he was 16 or 15 years old when he was off racing uh, Red Bull Rookies Cup in 2008 when he won the World Championship, and he did not have anybody. His parents had to stay home. They had to work. They weren't in a financial position, but it was Casey Stoner mm-hmm. who took – jd beach Inn. i mean there are many many race weekends where jd was sitting living inside of their motorhome you know with casey's wife and stuff and so there's always a support it's not like you can go over to your and and be completely by yourself yeah Uh, but listen to continue on with the conversation with cameron i did ask him the question to look ahead to next year you know what are the goals and it was really interesting because he was so hesitant to answer this question because i think initially what he was thinking i was asking him was like Give me a number, Cam. You know what I mean. Are you going to finish third? But right. it wasn't. I was like, Cam, look. What I'm looking for is just overall. What are you thinking about next season?
2: I mean, I want to run up front. Like, I that's that's what I'm here to do. I want to run up front. I've already, I've already mixed it up, up there like a, a, a couple times this year, which has been really cool. And I just want some more of that feeling. You know, I know it was only a fifth place, uh, a couple fifth places, but, um, I know that. I know that we're close to being able to do that. Um, I'm not saying at every track, but I think that we can I think we really can do that and the one thing the one cool thing about next year too is I feel like the, the class is really kind of changing up. There's been some some vets of the class that that have have moved out, like Vi and a couple other guys that have been there for a long time that have been really fast uh either moved out or moved up. So yeah, I'm just I'm looking forward to, to next year and and kind of seeing where I stack up early early on and uh yeah and just coming back with the team, knowing the team, just knowing what I'm getting myself into is gonna be gonna be huge.
0: And when he talks about that, he's not just talking about on the racetrack. Yep. Getting himself into the entire thing. Yeah. You know, living the whole situation.
1: Yeah, because it, it changes year to year and and there are gonna be guys that are gonna be gone that he's going to now be able to uh um you know almost feel like he can slot himself into that. He's got a year under his belt. The thing is, Greg, is that is that the guys that come up from Moto three, some of those guys are hit and miss, you know? Like yeah, there's guys true. like Delaporta, who is just so dominant in Moto three that really didn't do much this last year in Moto Two. Um, where is he gonna how's he gonna end up this next year? I mean, there are guys out there. That that have moved up, like uh De Antonio and Bedzeki. And, you know, um so so there are guys that have moved through. There are gonna be guys like Acosta that moved up. Acosta's gonna have the light on him next year. I mean, he's gonna have the big bright light on him next year. Uh, so it'll be interested to see how he stacks up. So there's there's gonna be hungry guys like SDK. It 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 never really seems like the talent, Greg, of move the talent that moves out isn't usually huge head and shoulders above the talent that comes in. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, totally. I, I, again, you're talking about guys like that, that are seven tenths off. I mean, Cameron was the guy that moved in this year and he's seven tenths off at some places. Like I said earlier, and he's 20th. It's like, that's yeah. not a big margin. So nope. now Cameron needs to find that extra two tenths, three tenths, half a second
0: to put himself in that
1: top eight, nine guys in qualifying. And that boy, his races will become easier.
0: Yeah. I just wish he could test like every day. I know that as we speak, he should be landing in California today. That's great. Uh, because Thanksgiving's tomorrow. So he's back in the States. He and Shelby are getting married middle of December, I believe. Is that right? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, yeah, I was talking with him about that. But again, that's, I can't remember if it's it's in the interview or not in the interview that we talked about or off camera or whatever it was. But I did talk to Cameron in our final clip that we're going to use in this podcast. I spoke with him late last week. So before the moto two test had happened. So the final question had to do with his new teammate, Sean Dylan Kelly, and what his thoughts are on the 19 year old making a move into moto two.
2: Yeah. I'm pumped that SDK is coming over. I'm really, I'm really happy for him that he got this opportunity. Um, obviously you and myself know how everyone knows how hard it is to get your foot in the door in Moto GP. And, uh, yeah, so for the deal that Eton and American Racing put together for him, I think that's pretty pretty awesome to bring him over. And especially because I mean he what what would he do? Stay in super sport for another year or or, or some like hopefully move up on a superbike, you know. There's just there's too many there's too many good riders in Moto America right now for how many seats there there are in superbikes. So I think that's awesome that he got got the opportunity over here to ride moto gp or moto two and uh what's cool for him i mean he's only like 1920 you know like he he has time to like to to grow as a rider and uh and really learn everything and and he has time to get competitive
0: mm-hmm. i yeah. agree with everything he says there for sure obviously
1: and it's in he's hungry man it's great it's he's yeah. hungry stk's hungry that's gonna and, and you know i think Just having another American over there with Cam will be good. It'll be good for him Um, to be able to look over and see SDK. And obviously, they probably know each other already from just being in the paddock over here. And um, uh, no, and that's another thing that we talked about
0: in our two hour conversation of which I only recorded 30 minutes. But, you know, was that I, I did talk to him about, you know, look, you know, how friendly is that paddock? And he's like, look, man, it's all business here. You know, so he's he's friendly with people. He's met some people, but he's not tight with anybody. It seems like they're very clicky with their nationality. And and so having another American is it it could potentially make a big difference. I mean, I think with STK, you know, he's he's fluent Spanish speaker. He spent some time over in Europe. I do think that he's going to locate in Spain as well, where Garrett Gerloff is, I think, three and a half hours away in Mm -hmm. Andorra. So if they end up close to each other, you know, there's always the possibility of training together and doing some things, but just depends on yeah yeah, and what SDK has going on as well. But
1: plus, depending on how well they get they get to get along and get together, um, it'll help them in qualifying. Mm -hmm. You know, if they can get up to Sweden, they can be. You know, there's places like Doha where you need a you need a guy to help you draft down the front straightaway there at at first round of the year, and if they get that they get that bond kind of going and qualify in in testing and then they get that bond going at that first round at Doha where they can see that they can help each other and help the team it that's going to be a big benefit i mean you start getting both american racing team riders into q2 uh to where they could both be moved up the grid that's a it's a big thing for a team so um we'll see how that all works cuz most of the time this year it looked like cam was on his own in qualifying even though he had a teammate it wasn't like it didn't look like there was much working together and i think that Going into this next year, you got two guys speaking the same language. And, you know, hopefully, hopefully that'll blend itself over and bleed itself into, uh, you know, positives in that all so important qualifying sessions.
0: Mm-hmm. So that's it with Cameron. If you'd like to hear the entire one, if you're a supporter of the Patreon page, that'll be up in the next couple of days. I'll probably put it up, uh, I would think probably Friday. I'm going to take tomorrow off Thanksgiving. Um, oh, you are I- slacking. I know you don't take I know. time what? off for our for our listeners, sheet dub I know, but thanks to Cameron, obviously, for the time in the chat, and uh, we hope he and his fiance have a great Thanksgiving as they march <clears> towards <throat> their wedding date.
1: Yeah, uh, congrats, Cam, and thank you so much for being on uh, being on with us. It's amazing, Greg. You're gonna you're gonna love and hate me at the same time here because I know I'm supposed to start talking about MotoGP testing. Mm-hmm. I didn't really get to see much of it. I didn't get to really see any of it because I was out of Chuckwalla all weekend. And so if you know some stuff about it, let's, uh, I'm going to kind of turn yeah, it over to you.
0: I, I, I have the rundown. That's I mean, good. it was, it was an action pack filled test without question. This is the test where teams started to roll out 2022 bits and pieces and bobs and riders switched and were able to get on the motorcycle. They're going to race in 2022 in terms of combined times over the, the two days, Pecco Bagnaya Jason did a 136.8. eight, the next closest rider to him was Nakagami, who was four-tenths of a second off, and he did that late. Then you had Quaderaro, Zarco, and Aya Bastianini, who's now on Team Grassini with an updated motorcycle. Alex Rins was half a second off Peko. Now, if you take Peko out of the equation, you're talking about a pretty packed field, right? You had Nakagami, Quaderaro, Zarco, Bastianini, Rins, um, all within like a tenth of a second of each other, basically. Mm Mm-hmm. Wow, There were a couple of things that were of note. Polis Bargo was seventh. Maverick on the Aprilia was eighth. Juan Mir, ninth. And Jack Miller. So a couple of things that I'll just point out here is what people were working on. Ducati primarily was focused on some aerodynamic bits and pieces and some other little things. There's a rumor of a new engine that's coming down the pipe. Um, and of course, Peko is unbelievable right now. He's on form. Things are great. Honda basically Jason rolled out like like a brand new motorcycle. It wasn't really an evolution. I mean, I I wouldn't be surprised if they renamed the thing the RC two twenty two V. You know what I mean? Like it was that much of a departure, uh, and and all the riders that got to ride it, I think they had one test mule. So you know they they had to kind of move it around. And Paul did crash once on that one, but between Alex Marquez, Nakagami, and Pol Espargaro, they all said massive improvement on the motorcycle all around. There were some aero things they were trying. There were some motor things, new chassis, new swing arms, all this kind of stuff. Yamaha, on the other hand, new chassis on day one. You know, Davizioso got to try the 2022 bike compared to the 19 bike, and there were some things there. Cuadro went well, but there's still a lot of chatter about inside of Yamaha coming out about, we need a motor. Give us a motor. Please give us a motor. So not as big of a step, at least in this, you know, first test. Suzuki, on the other hand, aerodynamics, they tried a new engine, which reportedly was really good and is not the final version, but they have to come up with the final version, I think, pretty soon. They focused on some electronics things. So the Suzuki guys come out of that test relatively happy. Aprilia ended up testing a new chassis, and they had, you know how they have the little mustache arrow in the front yes. of that Aprilia bike? They ended up testing, I think, three versions of that, some smaller versions of it, and so on and so forth. There's some more stuff coming out of KTM, some aero stuff that looked way like the KTM aero stuff, Jay, looks so Ducati-ish. Wow. Like in terms of the boxes on the front and on the side, that type of stuff. I think they also came out with some chassis bits and pieces as well. So a really good initial start to the test. But with the time that Pekka was able to do, and again, what we don't know about these tests, Jason, is the same as we always don't know about these tests. Who put in a soft tire? Who didn't? Yeah. What are the goals of the test? Right? right? Yeah, there's so many variables. Like you, you look at Miller and you say, ooh, Miller was eight tenths of a second off in 10th place than his, than his teammate. Yeah, but we don't know what Miller was tasked with. And we don't know the combination of things he was tasked with at the time. Like, could it have been, oh, he's got to test a new rear tire and aero package? Or yep. is he trying, you know, they have a, th- and by the way, rumor is Ducati's got a new, like, launch, another new launch device, a whole shot device. Which I guess their whole shot device isn't good enough. Yeah. I don't know, man. Well, there'll be it's eight crazy. of them on the grid
1: next year, so maybe top eight going into turn one is what they're looking for.
0: Yeah, I, right? I guess I don't I mean, know. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> top eight, everybody, go one, two, three. Yeah, it's 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 crazy. So, but a good test. We saw some good times coming from some riders. Um, you know, we saw, I think, what we expected from riders from Moto Two. You know, jumping in into um, into Moto GP. Their first couple days out, I know we know that Remy Garner, for instance, who's on the KTM, he had a go at it already. But this was really the first couple days that they had. Yeah. Uh, the weather, I think, was was good for the most part. But um, you know, they weren't they weren't sniffing around the top ten. You know, none of those guys. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. They were all relatively competitive with each other. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's it's gonna it's be exciting. really interesting, and we'll get more into MotoGP
1: as we go. Obviously, um, I think the next time they're on on track is after the New Year. I think
0: it's Sepang it's february yeah so they're actually they're off the bike so yeah the the teams will be and you know europe treats this next month a little differently than we do you know a lot of people will take the month of december off for vacation and then come back after new year yeah so it's really difficult to get things done i'm sure race teams are still working Ducati and everything else but um you know i think you know the thing that's so exciting about this particular test jason was the fact that there's been a development freeze because of COVID over the right, last two right, years. Right. So a lot of these things have been working behind the scenes. Uh, and so, you know, all eyes I think are on Yamaha to to figure out if they can get that air pump to start creating some more power because they're really going to be struggling if they don't figure something out, especially if Ducati ends up rolling out another new motor. It's like, oh boy. Well, you sit you know? there and you look at
1: the relief that came from Quattararo's run at Mizano when he wins the championship. And then he was really nowhere to be seen in the next two rounds. I mean, the, the last time I can really remember talking about him was the Friday practice at Portimao. He was so fast. And then on the weekend he was nowhere and he tipped off. And then it's like, you go to Valencia and it was like the same stuff again, like the Yamaha were struggling in top, top speed and we can't pass. And it's like, it's like there was definitely there has to be a little bit of a championship hangover. He probably went into that Friday at Portimao and just went like, "I'm going to show everybody that I'm still just like." It. But there just comes a point where it's like that intensity level drops ever so slightly, and then the flaws of what the Yamaha has right now currently come out. So, you know, he didn't probably end the season the exact way he wanted to. So going into that first test at Sepang. Boy, it's gonna be interesting to see what all the changes are for these bikes and teams and you know, all that stuff. I mean, even Suzuki and I mean Suzuki, you've got to think right now, are still at such a huge disadvantage only having two riders. Yeah, I totally doing a lot of their the donkey the legwork for them, but man, like they still just have the two guys and with Honda they got, you know, four guys and Aprilia's got two plus testers and ah, it's just, it's gonna be a fun see I mean, look, World Superbike. And MotoGP next year are going to be so much fun
0: for us to uh, to, to to cover. Yeah, and Moto America, of course. Of I mean, course. we're still waiting to find out what some key movements are going to be. Who's going to be the superbike rider for the Warhorse team next year? I mean, Jason, you and I think we know who it is. We're ninety nine percent sure, but they can't make any announcements on that for a while, or won't well, make keep, any announcements on that for calling, a while.
1: They keep calling me, but I'm just. I'm just, you know, I don't know if I'm going to commit yet. You know,
0: that's the thing, Greg. I don't know if I want to do another. I'd like season, to commit you. you know I'd mean? like to commit you to an insane <laughs> asylum because you're such a chucherooski right now. Although <laughs> yeah, you did see on GP1 right. Sykes, or, that's where I saw it, but I think it's out there. Sykes had said that he's got options in BSB does, and yeah. Moto America. So.
1: Well, we'll we got to figure out what that entails. I mean, there's still, we just don't know who is going to be coming out with what, uh, you know.
0: There, yeah, it, there's rumors of, There's rumors of more manufacturer involvement in Moto America for next year in Superbike. Just gotta gotta wait to see. Yeah, we gotta wait and And and
1: see. Now we're in that window of like the holidays,
0: (laughs) so it's like the world shuts down. It just yeah, the brakes. Everybody's just dragging the brake right now, trail breaking into (laughs) into Into, Christmas, into
1: Christmas, and I mean, I can't believe it's going to be Thanksgiving. So.
0: I know, yeah. and look, I don't, I don't, I don't, I didn't find any racing on the calendar, so I don't think there's anything going on. Um, I mean, there's there's some like local stuff going on, as there always is. Yeah, one of the things uh, this weekend coming up is one of my favorite rides, which is the District Thirty Seven Lab to V ride, Los, Los Angeles to Barstow. Barstow to Vegas. It happens. I think it's Friday and Saturday after Thanksgiving. I missed it again this year. It was something I've done one time with uh, with our boy Jake Zemke, and it's something I want to do again. And it sneaks up on me, so I'm going to try to try to get that scheduled. Find a motorcycle that we can ride. It, you know, I don't know if you're interested, Jay. It's dual sport. It's, it's probably eighty five ninety percent off road. It's so much fun, though.
1: Yeah, I don't be know. Black. I saw old Jay Z this weekend. I saw him riding around, Chuck. I think he was out there
0: going to be out there Monday and Tuesday. I saw him Monday. So uh dude, we were on this ride and we we leave LA and we get up into these like mountains or whatever, and he got a flat tire on the back of uh he was on um he was riding for Honda at the time, so he was on a Honda um uh, 650, yeah, air cooled 650, the big old one. Hey. And he got a flat tire like five miles from where we were connecting to the road. Yeah. And I have never seen someone he rode that flat, and I was on an ATK 420. With at the time we didn't know it, Jay. But I mean, you, you've seen me ride a dirt bike; it's not pretty. Um, not, <laughs> you know, not like compared you know, to a road race parts, bike, yes, where I'm I an understand. absolute ace. Oh yeah, ace you're on a road race on a, bike road, on the pavement, yeah. But I I was so sketched out on that ATK, and it was what what we ended up finding out was that the, I only had like four pounds of pressure in the front mm-hmm. tire, which was a little bit too low. Uh, we didn't find that out till the evening though, and then everything got much better for me and comfortable. But I I was struggling to keep up with Jake Zemke. Who was dirt tracking left and right on this flat tired, you know, six fifty Honda and it was crazy. But a great ride, great memories. You get to go through BLM land that you never get to ride through only once a year. Yeah. It's like turtle protected land. Yep. You come up into the backside of Vegas from Red Rocks. It's just it's fantastic. So hey everybody, have fun. District yeah. thirty seven. Maybe next year I'm gonna look into it. But uh that's it. So, you have Thanksgiving coming up tomorrow, obviously. And then, what are the plans for the weekend? You home? Man, what, what are you I'm doing? I'm so pumped to just be home. I'm going to be home because it's going to,
1: like, my December is going to be slammed. I'm full as far as, like, we got tons of JP43 training days. We are your CBNA. Eagles going to win again this week? Man. Huh? You know, these guys are talking about the Eagles getting in the playoffs. I'm just laughing. But when you look at it, their schedule is they- not looking too bad. Dude, I hate to say it, but your Pats, again, are looking pretty damn good. They're looking pretty good. They are. They're, I know. You and I are the same way with our teams. It's like, how dare you talk good about my team? They stink. Yeah, that's right. So um
0: but that's right.
1: Uh, anyways, no, it's it's gonna be nice to be home. Um got my, you know, me and my mom are just gonna chill tomorrow, and then we got, you know, Kolb. Oh boy. He's coming have, up. He's, have fun with that. He just comes up. It's like year four, year five of Kolb. He's trying to make some improvements right now with the old riding, Greg. So I think you got him intimidated.
2: Mmm. Mm-hmm.
0: all right
1: so yeah no but it's gonna be fun just gonna hang out for the weekend you guys have a great great thanksgiving as well and uh we'll be back at it next tuesday or wednesday happy thanksgiving everybody happy thanksgiving everyone